Well, welcome everybody to our Easter service, Resurrection Sunday 2020. So glad that you're here with me this morning as we celebrate the resurrection. I want to send a special welcome out to those of you who are part of our Harvest Decatur family. Thanks for participating, worshiping with us today. And let me send a welcome as well to those of you who are maybe listening in and are not a part of our regular service. We're so glad that you're here. I wish, wish, wish I could see your, your shining faces in this building. And, you know, I feel like the, the coronavirus has robbed me of some of my favorite things as a pastor. And one of those is just seeing the saints gathered here on Sunday morning. And certainly one of my favorite things is Easter Sunday, the church gathered. And yeah, we're missing out on that, but we still have an opportunity to worship. Maybe this time of sequestration and social isolation, I trust that God is using that to teach you some things, and to maybe show you that this world is not our home and we need Jesus to come back and rectify the fallenness of our world and our situation. I want to bring you some perspective on that today, on our cultural moment. Don't let me be a Debbie Downer this morning as we're talking about Easter and maybe regretting the fact that we can't gather together. Jesus is still risen from the dead. We can still worship Him. We can still celebrate that He's coming back soon. And I want to give a little bit of perspective to that this morning by opening up our Bibles and turning to that great passage about the resurrection in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. So wherever you are right now, let me invite you to take your Bibles with you and open up. And we're going to look, look today at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, 1 through 12. And we're going to look this morning at four things in this text. We're going to look at the power of the resurrection. We're going to look at the perplexity of the resurrection. We're going to look at the promise of the resurrection. And then the pessimism of the resurrection. Tim Keller said once about Luke 24 that this passage is too wonderful for words. But that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got. So here are these words from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. This is one of the most magnificent passages of Scripture. And to be honest, this is the most magnificent history-altering event in the chronicles of human history. That's what we're looking at today. I'm not exaggerating, folks. Let's look at the resurrection together, okay? We'll start here. Let's start with the power of the resurrection. The gospel writer Luke says this in verse 1. He says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn. What day is that? Do you know? First day of the week. This is Sunday. This is the first day of the week. Why do we worship on Sunday instead of on Saturday like the Old Testament Israelites did? Answer, because Jesus is raised from the dead on Sunday. And this passage says that he was raised early because it was early, early dawn when these individuals came to the tomb. Now, just before the end of Luke chapter 23, let me just catch you up to speed here with what's going on. Jesus' dead body was removed from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea. He was 
placed in a tomb in a garden not far from Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. And they buried Jesus' body with 75 pounds of spices. And they rolled a huge boulder in front of that tomb. No one had ever been buried in this tomb before Jesus. And that boulder was strategic. That boulder was put there to keep the grave robbers from coming in. And, and that boulder was put there as well to keep the smell of rotting, putrefying flesh, the flesh of Jesus, from escaping the grave. So they thought anyways. So just to be clear about the timeline here, Jesus died on Friday afternoon at Golgotha. He was placed in this tomb before dusk on Friday night. So that's about six hours on Friday night, 24 hours as well on the day Saturday, maybe another six hours or less than that on Sunday. That's a total of about 36 hours between the death and the resurrection. By Jewish reckoning, that was three days, part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday, three days, and that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Luke, said the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So, back to verse 1. Here we go. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. By the way, who are the they there? Who are the they in verse 1? Do you know? Well, there's a clue in Greek because the word, the verb here, taking, is a, is a feminine plural verb. The they here are women, and only women, by the way. Luke makes that clear later on in verse 11. He says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. If you don't remember when Jesus was crucified, actually even before that, when he was arrested at Gethsemane, his male disciples abandoned him like lily-livered scaredy cats. They abandoned him right after that. Peter denied Jesus three times. And so bold, you know, Peter saying he would never deny. He denied him three times and then ran away crying like a little schoolgirl. That's what happened to the men at the time that Jesus was arrested and crucified. The women stood by Jesus, though. They stood by him in that time in the crucifixion. The only, the only member of Jesus' disciples that stayed with him during the crucifixion was John. Everybody else was female. They stayed with Jesus as well when his body was wrapped and when Joseph of Arimathea put 75 pounds of fragrances and spices. And on Sunday morning now, a few days later, a few hours later, they raise early to take more spices to his body. They just can't shake this guy Jesus. You know, if you, if you didn't know the rest of this story, you'd actually feel sorry for them. If you didn't know the rest of the story, you'd be like, man, these ladies need to move on. What's wrong with them? I mean, he's dead. It's over. Now, did these women think that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Did they, did they assume that? No, they did not. Otherwise, they wouldn't be bringing fragrances to anoint a dead body to block the smell of rotting flesh. No, they thought he was dead, just like the men thought he was dead. So look at verse 2. Here's, what's hap here's what happens. And they found the stone 
rolled away from the tomb. Hello, what's going on here? But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Where's the body? Where's the Lord Jesus? If the Duck Dynasty boys were here at this moment, you know what they would say? He gone. He's not there. Where is he? Where's the body of Jesus? And, and think about the smells, too, as they enter into this place, thinking that they're going to smell maybe the rotting flesh of Jesus with the myrrh and the aloes all mixed together. They don't smell any of that. All they smell, maybe, is the spices, the residue of what's left from when they anointed Jesus' body at his burial. There's no sign of a dead body. There's no evidence of a dead body. There's no smell of a dead body. This isn't a tomb. This is just a, a cave carved out of a rock. I think Matthew Henry was the first person to call Jesus' tomb a borrowed tomb. I love that expression. I love that, that phrasing. It was a borrowed tomb. Jesus borrowed Joseph's tomb like I used to borrow my sister's car when we were in high school. Jesus is like, okay, I'm done with it now. You can have it back, Joseph. You're going to die someday. You're going to need this. I don't need it. I just needed it for a few hours. It's interesting when you look at the Gospels because Jesus rode in on a borrowed donkey. He ate Passover in a borrowed room. And then when he died, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. This world was not his home. Not until he was ready to restore it completely. To that, you might say, well, why do you say borrowed tomb, Pastor Tony? Why just borrowed? What happened? Jesus rose from the dead. That's what happened. Jesus defeated death. It's the power of the resurrection demonstrated right here for us. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose Again, that's the power of the resurrection, folks. Now the perplexity. Here's the perplexity of the resurrection. Look with me at verse 4. It says, while they were perplexed about this, and don't kid yourself, by the way, you'd be perplexed too if you saw this. You'd be perplexed because, you know, these ladies had seen Jesus die on the cross. They saw the lance thrust into his side and burst his heart. They had seen the water and the blood flow from his side. They had helped take his dead carcass off of that cross and wrapped his lifeless body with linen. If you were there, you'd be perplexed too. And and they need some help to make sense of this. Verse 4, And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, Angels, right? Talking about angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces, yeah, they would be frightened. By the way, when angels showed up in the Old Testament, most people were terrified. And a lot of times angels killed folks. So they were right to be afraid at this moment. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? That is a great question right there. You know, there are some in our world right now that call themselves Christians, but they they have a real problem with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They they believe in his death on a cross. That's plausible to them. They think, yeah, that probably happened. 
But, you know, this supernatural thing, a resurrected Christ actually being raised from the dead, come on, that's not plausible, they say, and they don't believe it, although they still want to call themselves Christians. How does that work, by the way? Well, you know, here's what they do. They say, well, the resurrection, as talked about here in the Gospels, we're not talking about like a real bodily resurrection of Jesus. We're talking about a, a spiritual resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead in our hearts. It's in our hearts. How y'all feel about that? I've got a problem with that. And it's not just that that doesn't take the Bible seriously or the historical evidence for the resurrection seriously. And by the way, there's a lot of historical evidence, both, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible. I, I have a problem with that because it's, it's kind of a spiritualized moralism, an ethic that flows from something other than the authority of God's word and what God's word tells us about what happened with Jesus, that he was risen from the dead. And I wish, I wish that these angels would just show up in our day right now and scare the living snot out of people and ask them this same question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you doing that? Why are you so dense? Look at verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. He has risen. You know, there's other people in our day who they'll say things like this. You know, it's kind of like Christianity. It's okay. Like, I like this stuff about the Bible. I don't like this other stuff. I like this stuff about Jesus. Jesus is cool, but, you know, then he says some things I don't like. So I'm going to take this stuff, and then I'm going to not take this stuff. Here's my problem with that. If, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's just say he didn't rise, who cares what the Bible says? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why are you watching this? Why would you go to church on Sunday? Why would you even care? There'd be no reason to do that. Who cares about the Bible's moral teaching if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead? Who cares if, if you read this part of the Bible, don't read that part of the Bible? You know, there's people, I think, that go to church even on Easter Sunday, and they think, well, I don't really believe this stuff, but it's, it's socially acceptable for me to go to church and to do my thing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then this, all of this is insignificant. It's insignificant. And I would even tell you to go, go do something else right now because you don't have long to live, and after you're dead, it's just an empty void of nothingness, okay? Good luck with COVID-19 or the next pandemic that comes along. And then in a few thousand years, this world's going to burn up as we get closer to the sun, and it's all over. It never mattered anyway. But if you, I hope you don't believe that, that Jesus, that this is some idle tale. But if you do believe it, if you do believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you don't get to pick and choose what God tells you to do. You don't, I like that, I don't like that. If Jesus is risen from the dead, he's your king, and you got to do what he says. He's got that authority unlike anybody else in, the author, in, in this world has authority. And I like this about Jesus' teaching. I like that about, I like this, but I don't like that. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. Just think for a second. Let's do a little thought experiment. Think about those disciples that Jesus was leading that ran away like lily-livered scaredy cats. Have you ever thought for a moment, like, why did these people who abandoned Jesus during the crucifixion. 
How did they go from those scaredy cats to these strong, bold witnesses for Christ just a few days later? How did that happen? I mean, let's face it, they were in a sorry state before Jesus' resurrection. They were dejected, they were frightened, they were hiding, they were demoralized. How did that change? Was it because they just kind of concocted this idea up in their heads? You know, hey, 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 you know, let's just let's just make up this story about Jesus being raised from the dead. Let's just make something up, and then we can we can die for it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Is that, does that sound like something you would do? Would you do that if you were in their place? So back to my question: How did this group of scaredy cats, these disciples, go? from scaredy cats to bold, faithful witnesses for Jesus willing to die for him. I'll tell you how it happened. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. They saw him and they believed. And they lived like they believed it. You know, a lot of these theories about the resurrection didn't really happen. And a lot of these theories out there take more faith than the actual truth that's recorded in the scriptures that Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe it. I believe what these angels are saying right now in our text. We've seen the power of the resurrection. We've seen the perplexity of the resurrection. Now Luke tells us about the promise of the resurrection. Here's another reason that I believe this. Look at verse 6 with me. The angels said to these women, He is not here but has risen. Remember, they say, this is actually an imperative in Greek. This is a command. Remember, hey, hey, hark back to what he said. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise three times, at least in Jesus' ministry. Three times he gave them this statement that I I will be delivered, I will be handed over, and then I will be raised from the dead. At least three times. At least three times. You ever you ever tell your kids stuff over and over again? These angels are like parents to these ladies, telling them, remember? Remember? You ever you ever tell your kids stuff over and over again and they don't get it till maybe they're like thirty years old? Well, you're not alone. Jesus had told them he was going to be raised from the dead, and they forgot, and now they remember. Look at verse 8. This is a great this is a great verse right here. They remembered. Oh, yeah, he did tell us that. They remembered his words. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's hope for your children someday. They may have listened to you at some point. Just as a refresher here, Jesus told his disciples, this is in Luke 9. I shared this with you earlier. Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Man, that is incredible specificity there that Jesus gave them. And this was early in his ministry, too. This is before the transfiguration. And then on the third day be raised. Jesus said later, this is Luke 18, verse 31. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But Luke tells us, verse 34, they understood none of these things. They didn't get it. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Did they just forget? 
the disciples, even these women? Did they, you know, were their hearts hard? Was there a lack of understanding here? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually inclined to defer to God's sovereignty and timing with these issues and just say they didn't know because God didn't allow them to know until, it, until the appointed time of the resurrection. And watch what these ladies do once they remember. Okay, now they know. They remember. Here's their response. And they remembered his words, verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. First witnesses of Jesus here, these women, his resurrection. And how did the disciples respond? How did they respond? Jesus' eleven disciples, when they heard this, they celebrated and praised God and started singing, Happy days are here again. Is that what happened? Is that what your Bible says? I wish that's what our Bible said. Instead, look at verse 10. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Shame on these men. Shame on them. They didn't believe what Jesus had told them earlier. They didn't remember. And then they don't listen to the witness of these ladies. We've seen the power of the resurrection. We see the perplexity of the resurrection. We've seen the promise of the resurrection. The fourth thing that we see in this text is the pessimism of the resurrection. These women rushed back to Jerusalem to tell these disciples what happened. And what did they encounter there? incredulity, pessimism. It's an idle tale, they said. It's unfortunate, but, you know, this this shouldn't surprise us. This pessimism still exists today, doesn't it, about the resurrection? People still call it an idle tale, told and believed primarily by women. It's interesting, if you've ever done any research on the resurrection, I mentioned earlier that there's quite a lot out there in terms of evidence for the resurrection, both inside of the Scriptures and outside of the Scriptures. But if you've never done any research on the historicity of the resurrection, you know this, that in the first century world, the last thing that you would ever do if you were, let's say, making up a story that you wanted other people to believe is allow the first witnesses of your made-up story to be women. You would never do that. Not if you wanted people to believe you because the testimonies of women were downplayed in the ancient world. Most cultures at this time, quite frankly, were misogynistic. I'll give you an example of that. This is 300 years before Christ. In book one of his politics, Aristotle says this. He says, The male is by nature superior and the female by nature inferior. The one rules, and the one is ruled. In fact, Celsus, the second century skeptic and critic of Christianity, he called Mary Magdalene a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. And he asked, why should anybody listen to the testimony of this hysterical female? 
How do you feel about that, women of, of Harvest Decatur? How do you feel about that? If I could see my wife right now, I could probably see smoke coming out of her ears listening to this. And yet in God's great providence, this is one of the great truths, is that God chose women to be the first witnesses for Christ. In his blog on this matter, Justin Taylor writes this. He says, in the first century, women were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. And that's why their testimony in Luke and the other Gospels matters. It matters for two reasons. First, it is a theological reminder that the kingdom of the Messiah turns the system of the world on its head. Into this culture, Jesus radically affirmed the full dignity of women and the vital value of their witness. Amen. Can I get an amen out there from the ladies of Harvest Decatur at, at home? And then Justin Taylor says this, and this is the apologetic side of it. Secondly, it's a powerful apologetic reminder of the historical accuracy of the resurrection accounts. If these were cleverly devised myths, 2 Peter 1.16, Women would never have been presented as the first eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. These women bring a true witness to these women about to these men about the empty tomb, and these men dismiss them, just like some arrogant men in our day dismiss the truth of the resurrection. The same men, by the way, here who abandon Jesus in his greatest hour of need. But not all the men dismiss them. Look at verse 12. But Peter, remember Peter? Love that guy. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. The pessimists are incredulous. Peter's got to find out for himself. And Luke says here that Peter ran to the tomb like Forrest Gump he was running to that tomb. And, and you've got to know this, too, about Jewish culture. In the Jewish world, men don't run. That's what kids do. Kids run. Men don't run. That's, that's actually why the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son is so precious because what happens in Jesus' story, when the, the father, the elderly father, sees the son, he runs to him. You don't do that in Jewish culture. Peter doesn't really care about being dignified in this moment right now. He runs. He's got to find out what happened to Jesus' body. And verse 12 says, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. What did he find here at this tomb? There's no dead body like maybe he was expecting. What did he smell? There's no smell of decomposing flesh like maybe he was expecting. It's just the sweet smell of myrrh and fragrances. What does he see? All he sees is linen cloths lying down by themselves. Why are linen cloths just lying there by themselves? Do you know? You ever thought about that? You know, if grave robbers had actually come and stolen merchandise here or something of value, they would have taken these linen garments. Why would they take a dead body? There's no value in a dead, you know, decomposing body. If the Jews or the Romans in this day wanted to make an example of Jesus and dragged his body away and impaled it, like, like William Wallace, like the, the British did with William Wallace when they 
They hung his body out as a deterrent for other insurrectionists. Why would they take the clothes off? Why would they unwrap him like that? That doesn't make any sense either. Why, why are these garments just, they're, they're not garments, they're just strips of linen. Why are they just wrapped like this? Here's my answer to that. I think that Jesus, his new resurrection body, has the ability to materialize and dematerialize it, and he just went through those garments and left them there. I think that's what happened. I mean, how many of y'all imagine Jesus, you know, being raised from the dead, and he's just, just kind of like, you know, incredible Hulk after he was raised from the dead, <laughs> throwing all the garments all over the tomb? That's not what's described here. <laughs> That's not what he says. In fact, in John's gospel, it says that these linen claws were rolled up or folded up. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Jesus just passed through his clothes like your hand passes through water or like your body passes through water. And these linen garments lying there in the tomb, they're like the abandoned chrysalis of a butterfly. Was Jesus' body a real body? Was it corporeal? Could you touch it? Yeah, Mary Magdalene could touch it. Thomas could touch it. He even touched the nails that were in Jesus' hands. Jesus said, you can read about this later in Luke 24, Jesus says, bring me a fish, and he eats the fish. That's amazing. I can't wait to eat with my new resurrection body. And you, and you might be thinking here, too, as we talk about Jesus' resurrection, you know, you might say, yeah, yeah, that's not so hard to believe, Pastor Tony, because Lazarus was raised from dead. This is just like Lazarus, isn't it? No, it's not like Lazarus at all. You know, when Lazarus came out with his grave clothes on, he needed help getting unwound from those claws. And when Lazarus came back from the dead, I'll just let you know, he had to die again later. Poor guy, he had to die twice. This is totally different. This is totally different. Jesus defeated the grave, and he's abandoned his grave clothes forever. His resurrection body is an eternal body. It's a real body. It's a corporeal body. You can touch it, but it's a glorified body. It's an eternal body. And it has, conceivably, the ability to materialize and dematerialize. Maybe our new bodies will be like that someday, too. I can only hope. And by the way, you might wonder, well, why do they have to move the stone away then? I mean, if Jesus could just go right through it. The stone wasn't moved to get Jesus out. Jesus could get out if he needed to. The stone was moved so that the disciples could get in. And see that nobody was there. It was a testimony. It was a witness to Jesus' resurrection. Look what happens at the end of verse 12. And Peter, what did he do? He went home marveling at what had happened. Yeah, I bet he was. I bet he did marvel. Let me just say something right here for apologetics purposes. Nobody throughout the centuries... Nobody has ever argued that Jesus' dead body was still in that tomb. Nobody has argued that. Everybody agrees that the tomb was empty. Now, they just come up with different ideas as to why it was empty. Maybe it was grave robbers. Maybe it was grave robbers. Maybe it was the swoon theory. Jesus just kind of pretended to die, and then he moved the stone out of the way and got out on his own. He wasn't really dead. There's even a theory that 
the Jews and the Romans concocted. You can read about this in the Gospel of Matthew. That, you know, the disciples whipped the guards and moved the stone and stole the body away to perpetuate this idle tale. That takes more faith in believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. And you've got to consider this too. If you want to prove to people that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, just, I mean, just think about this. In the early church, it was exploding. People were getting saved. You just read the book of Acts. Luke stops in Luke 24 and then goes right into writing the book of Acts. And the church is growing. People are getting saved like crazy. If you wanted to stop that, and people wanted to stop that, if you wanted to stop that, you would just usher them right into this tomb and say, there's a dead body right there. Your religion is a farce. They couldn't do that. Everybody agrees that the tomb was empty. The question is, what are you going to do about that empty tomb? What are you going to believe about that empty tomb? Every person is entitled to their opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. The tomb was empty. How was it empty? You might say, oh, it's, it's the swoon theory. Jesus just kind of swooned off the, co- the cross, appeared to die. Really? You want to stake your life on that? You want to stake your eternity on that? That Jesus maybe isn't raised from the dead? I believe. I believe. And I know this, this passage ends anticlimactically. Peter just goes home in verse 12, marveling at what happened. There's more in the book of Luke, and I invite you to read it for yourself. Maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning. There's more to Jesus' resurrection in Luke's gospel, in the book of Acts 2. The question for you, though, is this. What are you going to do about this empty tomb? What are you going to believe? Are you going to join the parade of pessimists that have too easily dismissed Jesus' resurrection over the centuries? Are you going to are you going to spiritualize this resurrection? Jesus was raised from the dead in our hearts. In our hearts. I don't buy that. That doesn't work. Either he was raised from the dead or he wasn't raised from the dead. Luke recorded this gospel. He wrote it down. And the other disciples did too. Why? So that we would read it, so that we would believe it. Do you believe it? Do you now? You might say, why is this so important to you, Pastor Tony? Why why is the resurrection so important to Christians? Why is Easter so important to us, celebrated for 2,000 years? Why the resurrection, Pastor Tony? Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. I'll close with this, and it'll be quick, and then we can worship together. Here's why it's so important to us. First of all, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's a liar and cannot be trusted. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. And he either did it or he didn't. Don't give me a truncated Jesus where We can believe some things, but not other things. He either was raised from the dead or he wasn't. Secondly, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we won't rise from the dead. That should be a terrifying reality for you right now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, you're of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ's resurrection didn't happen, we should just quit right now. Seriously, we should just get on with life. We should just, you know, stay home right now. Don't ever come back to church. Just stay home and eat bonbons with your family. Have a good time and wait for eternity to come. Just the, the nothingness and the void of no afterlife. And finally, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's not coming back for us. There is no hope. But praise God, Jesus was raised from the dead. Praise God, we can celebrate him at Easter time. We can celebrate the past, the present, and the future. The past resurrection. The, the present life that we have in Jesus and our future hope that he's coming back and he's going to restore all of this and he's going to fix this fallen world and we're going to live with him for eternity. Like the old hymn says, in garments glorious he will come to open wide the door and I shall enter my heavenly home to dwell forevermore. That is our hope. That's why we celebrate at Easter time. Come, Lord Jesus. Bow with me in a word of prayer, and then we can sing together. Jesus, I praise you as the God of this world who came into our world and died for our sins. But death could not hold you, Lord. You defeated the grave. You rose to new life. And you give us new life. You give us salvation. And Lord, you give us hope for the future. Hope that you're coming back again. Hope that these broken bodies that we live in right now will be replaced with eternal glorified bodies like you showed us in the Bible. Lord, hasten the day of your return. Come soon, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, we will celebrate you we will worship you and we will testify for you before this world. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.